From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While this podcast largely focuses on Gator athletics, college sports, pro sports, and nearly everything else took a backseat this week due to the worldwide coronavirus pandemic. What began as the prospect of playing games without fans quickly morphed into having no games for a few weeks, then no games at all for the remainder of the athletic year, and now the prospect of essentially being quarantined in your house for quite some time. This brave new world has led to unprecedented circumstances in almost every aspect of life. And while we don't have answers to so many key questions that will ultimately make the biggest difference in people's lives, we wanted to fully inform you on what this means for the Gators and the athletes and coaches you clearly love if you're listening to this podcast. That effort starts now, as you'll hear directly from Athletic Director Scott Strickland, and will continue next week as we'll chat with some of the players and coaches most affected by these turbulent times. Beyond that, we're planning exciting specials reflecting back on some of the Gators' greatest triumphs with those who helped make the memories. So we look forward to keeping you connected to the orange and blue throughout this uncertain and uncomfortable period in all of our lives. So without further ado, let's get to our wide-ranging conversation with Scott Strickland, which began very simply by finding out the current lay of the land for student-athletes and coaches. Well, really, other than complete their coursework academically online, there's really nothing that our athletes had access to from an athletic standpoint related to the UAA. That doesn't mean they can't stay in shape on their own. You know, most of our athletes have left campus. I think we have about 25% roughly that are still in Gainesville. Some of those, you know, may have families they're staying with. Some of those may be in apartments, but about, you know, three quarters of our athletes have left campus. You know, the approach that, uh, that Florida has taken and all the other SEC schools is there's not going to, there's not going to be any athletic activity. So we've, basically closed up all of our athletic facilities except for uh, the Hawkins Center at Ferrier Hall, which is our academic center. Um, That's open to our athletes on a appointment basis. They have to schedule a time to go in if they need help uh, with tutors or access to a computer if they are in the area. They also have access to our our sports health training rooms, again, by appointment. Um, Some athletes are rehabbing from injuries. They need to continue on that. Some may not feel well. They need to call in and see if they need to to you know, be checked out by a doctor. Otherwise, everything else is halted from an athletic standpoint, which is surreal in, in and of itself um, when you think about the, the normal rhythm of what happens in a college athletic program. Um, our staff is, is uh, uh, you know, essential personnel need to report to the office. But other than that, it's work by home if possible. Um, I have been doing that myself, doing a lot of meetings by phone and conference calls and that kind of thing. And our coaches are doing the same thing. So it's a it's a very odd circumstance, really unprecedented, when, you know, except for, uh, I guess, uh, potentially times of war or something where you would have just a, a stoppage of, of the things that we do in our society and really remarkable when you think about it. But um, we're staying in contact with our staff. Our coaches are staying in contact with our athletes remotely, but face-to-face stuff is is really limited at this point. And, and you talked about just how strange this is, because I'm thinking about when you sign up for this job, 
I mean, you, you know you're going to have some hardships, right? You're probably going to have to let go of some coaches. There are going to be difficult decisions, some high-level staff members. You'll probably have personal tragedies that might come up. But then there's something like this. I mean, how, how do you even wrap your head around something this unprecedented in the position that you're in? Well, I often get asked, you know, what's a typical day like uh, working in college athletics? And my answer usually is some cliche about the great thing about college athletics is every day is different. And there's a lot of truth in that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the fact of the matter, I used the word rhythm earlier. I'll go back to that word. There is a rhythm you get in different times of the year that, you know, with games and sports and seasons and meetings and that kind of thing. But the fact that we are accustomed to being nimble and, and adjusting on the fly has kind of probably prepares us to handle this on some level. Um, from a logistic, logistical standpoint, um, from a service standpoint, we have so many talented, smart people in our department that are really adept at figuring things out as they go taking, you know, less than ideal circumstances and making them be as useful as possible for the Gators. So from that standpoint, it's not a huge change from what we might normally do. It's it's obviously in a different way, but it's, it's kind of the same same protocols. What's really what you worry about is the, it's the mental aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your athletes and your coaches and, and as an extension, the rest of our staff, we are so conditioned and accustomed to having to waking up every day with a short-term, medium, medium-term, long-term goal, right? And you know, the short-term may be that day's game. The medium-term may be you know, get ready for the next opponent or the next project. And the long-term is keeping your program in good position going forward. And suddenly, we woke up, whatever day that was, March 12th or whatever, and poof, all that was gone. All the short-term was gone, and most of the medium-term was gone. It's all long-term now, and so you worry about the mental health aspect of your coaches, your staff, certainly our student athletes, having that immediacy of competition and working toward a goal taken away in an instant with a lot of unknown surrounding it. That's, that's kind of where your concern goes. And we're, we have a lot of of, uh, mental health resources available to our, our students, to our, to our staff, but I I don't, it's hard to anticipate exactly what that's, what those needs are going to be, because again, it goes back to the unprecedented nature of what we're doing, what we are dealing with. Well, and I think that's something that, you know, a lot of people are rightly focused on the, the bigger picture here in terms of the public health and whatnot. But I mean, you do have, you have a large group of athletes and coaches who have basically had, I mean, what they prepare for, what they trained for, they, they've lost their thing that they, that they do, that they strive for. I mean, what have you heard so far from coaches and maybe about their athletes, some of the challenges and how they're dealing with it? You know, I don't. I I think this goes back to the figuring it out as you go along piece. Um, you know, I think our coaches right now they're just in contact with their athletes and and they're trying to figure out a way to support them from afar. Candidly, we're the sense we all get is that we are the early stages. Here we are. It's mid to late March. Um, seems seems like we're in the early stages of this, and and there's a novelty to it. You know, if this thing goes on for weeks, maybe months, as some have predicted. Mm. Um, that's that's where I think we're going to it's going to evolve. The needs of how we can help and support our athletes and our staff is going to have to be adapted as we go through this, because that there is going to be a monotony that could set in sure. or uh, just a frustration with the unknown. There's a certain level of frustration now. I think that can only that could potentially grow. And so we are it's really important that we continually communicate. We send out a regular email to our staff. Our coaches are in regular communication with our athletes. Um, but even beyond that, it's it's really important that we all try to communicate and stay connected as much as possible to understand what the short term and long term needs of our of our people are going to be. Mm-hmm. 
you know, as, as this thing has changed, I'm like everyone else who pretty much just had to see this thing play out in real time through social media, through the news. You were on kind of the other side of that. So I'm curious, while we were all updating, refreshing our feeds and seeing one change after another, the the 11th, the 12th, um, what was it like behind the scenes? I mean, when did you start getting the calls that told you, wait a minute, something really drastic is about to happen? And just, I'm, I'm kind of curious, kind of the, the blow by blow of what was happening on your end. Well, we were in Nashville for... Uh for AD meetings around the SEC men's basketball tournament. And, you know, you were describing re- refreshing your feeds. We, you know, those of us who were in meeting rooms trying to make decisions, we were doing the same thing because so much of what was happening was, was coming. The information was coming from outside sources. Um, it was funny. We began, you know, that Wednesday, I guess it was March 10th with our meeting. And this shows how dramatically and quickly this changed and, and looking back how maybe how out of touch we were, but, the the meeting began with uh, a proposed press release going out potentially that day. And keep in mind, the tournament was starting that night. Um, someone, you know, the, the league office said, do we want to send out this press release uh, offering to refund tickets for anyone who, who doesn't feel comfortable making it to the tournament who has bought tickets? And we decided not to do that because we thought, you know what, there's been people understand they're going to take care of themselves and the games are going on. And the people, the authorities here in Nashville haven't told us not to, you know, allow people to come in. And so we decided not to do that. And like three hours later, we're suddenly in a conversation about locking the doors and not letting any fans in, playing games without fans, which we made that decision. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, within minutes of that decision being announced that Wednesday night, what happened in Oklahoma City um, with uh, Gobert and the NBA and the Jazz and all that kind of stuff. And the NBA suddenly comes to a halt. At that point, we all realize whoa, this is, this is taking another direction. Mm-hmm. And so the, the sequencing within a 24 hour period, it, it really developed quickly. And some of the information we were getting was from uh, our campuses. Some of it was outside information, like what happened in the NBA. Some of it was, was coming from some of the leaders we've had different governorships or, or mayors, uh, you know, some of the stuff that started coming from the, uh, the task force in DC with, you know, some of that information was coming in and was getting our attention, uh, obviously getting our attention. And then, you know, we, we make the decision to cancel the men's basketball tournament and really cancel all SEC activity for, uh, I guess it was a period of, of two weeks at that point and fly back to Gainesville. And, and I'm in my car driving from the airport to my house and I'm at a stoplight. And and I, I open up my phone. I see where the NCAA has canceled not only the, the men's basketball tournament, but all championships through the spring. Mm-hmm. And and again, another level of this thing that that I don't think we were quite mentally prepared to see it it happen like that. So, you know, in a 36 hour period, we went from we're playing games with crowds to we're not even playing the College World Series in late June. Right. That's that's a pretty dramatic. 36 hours, uh, you know, had a huge impact on hundreds of thousands of student athletes. When, and you've had to deal with things like hurricanes, delaying football games, canceling football games, being fluid situations. But has anything you've ever dealt with been as fluid and rapidly changing as this whole situation has been? You know, the the only, and I wasn't an AD when 9-11 happened in 2001, but I was working in college athletics. You know, that was, obviously that made a big impact quickly on people. The only other thing, though, uh, that I can think of that that has moved this swiftly would be when the tornado hit the SEC basketball tournament in 2008 in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And very similar, 
you're trying to get information. Every time you got information, it seemed to escalate things really quickly. So, I mean, but again, there's not all of, all of those share some, some similarities, but they're all distinct in their own way. Uh, and you mentioned hurricanes, certainly that that's one as well. Um, it was, it's funny. I, you know, this feels like a city shutting down, talking about being here in Gainesville, a city shutting down, getting ready for a hurricane, mm-hmm. except the weather's beautiful and right. the birds are chirping and there's, there's <laughs> not a cloud in the sky and there's no prediction of any rain. And so it feels like that, but different. So it goes back to the surreal nature of what we're dealing with. And, you know, I, I, th- I think we all are missing our normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, no one wants this. No one, you know, enjoys this. People like to work. People like to achieve. People like to support coaches and young people and people we love for our fans to come and, and watch our teams and be engaged. None of that's happening right now. And so we crave normalcy now. We're going to really start craving it in the weeks ahead as, as it seems to be further and further away. And, and why it seems to me it's really important that we do the things that are being asked of us, not half-heartedly. We go all in on the social distancing measures, the reporting measures, everything we can do to get through this as quickly as possible because that is the only way we're going to get back to quote unquote normal is to let it run its course. And hopefully we're protecting ourselves. And by doing so, we're protecting others and helping prevent spread. Um, you know, I had somebody recommend that a rallying cry, especially in the South might be do it for football. Yeah. Right. Because if we want to have a normal fall, we need to take extreme measures right now and not just football, but all of our fall sports and really getting things back to normal. You know, because it, it's it's probably not going to be April and it's probably not going to be May that things are back to normal. It may be June, maybe July. Uh, and I know we're all certainly hoping by August it's back to normal so we can send not just have athletic events, but send kids back to school and sure. let people go back to work and let the economy come back. Because that's that's really serious. And if, if that doesn't happen on a lot of fronts in terms of going back to normal, a lot of people are wondering, OK, well, what can be done for some of these athletes, especially the spring athletes who in some cases lost most, if not all of their seasons. Um, and then even beyond that, you know, the winter athletes, I mean, gymnastics was coming to the end of their season, but it hadn't gotten their championships, uh, basketball, obviously no tournament. That's what so many people play for when it comes to college basketball. I, I know these things are being discussed right now by the NCAA. It's not necessarily in, in your control, but what are your personal feelings about some of those issues, giving eligibility, ramifications of it, et cetera. You know, I, candidly, I probably need to talk to more people to understand all the uh, unintended consequences. On the surface, I think every spring sport athlete, we should uh, act like this year is a redshirt year, so to speak, and give everybody their year, year of eligibility back. Obviously, most of those sports played very small part of their season. Many of them were, if they had started conference play, softball had played one weekend. I think tennis had had two weekends. You know, baseball was about to start their conference play. Our track teams were actually at the NCAA Indoor Championships in Albuquerque getting ready to start competing, and they were sent home. Mm. Um, so outdoor track had, had not begun yet. I think all those kids should should get their year back. Now, again, there's some unintended consequences because you've got, you're going to have to do something to manage your rosters differently, have different roster sizes, because we all those sports have signed kids who will be enrolling as freshmen next year mm-hmm. and with the assumption that these we had seniors who would be graduating and moving on so if you're going to let the seniors come back you've got to do something to accommodate that you know i i uh i my heart breaks for 
seniors and well, for all of athletes, but especially our seniors in winter sports that never had a chance to complete their championship segment of their season. And yeah, you know, men's basketball is obviously uh, what everybody thinks about because of what March Madness means to our, to our country. But uh, women's basketball is the same way. Gymnastics, I mentioned indoor track, swimming and diving. All those sports didn't have a chance to compete in their in their their championship, which um, you know, we had a gymnastics team that was ranked number two in the country. We had a men's basketball team that was going to make the NCAA tournament. And track team always performs well, swimming and diving. I mean, we, we had high hopes for what was about to happen, and I know our athletes did, and that got taken away. You know, to me, the humane thing is to figure out a way to accommodate those kids if they want to come back. I've had some people say, well, you know, you have some basketball teams that weren't going to make the NCAA tournament. They'd already lost in their conference tournament. Mm-hmm. Are you going to give those seniors – a chance to come back. That didn't seem right. They've already finished their season. And I get that. I, I Again, I don't know how you take the opportunity away from those who never had the chance to play their postseason, who were on teams that were going to make it, just because you don't want to accommodate athletes on a team that had already completed their season. To me, it's you're you're going to the lowest common denominator if you say these kids can't go have their championship because these other kids already completed theirs. Just give them all their year back mm-hmm. is is in my way of thinking. But again, there's a lot of unintended consequences about roster sizes and uh, it's going to be added expense for schools because you have to pay for additional scholarships and a place like Florida, we can handle that. We'll figure out a way to handle that. Some other schools may not be in that position. So it's going to be a complicated conversation. My hope is that we do what's best for the athletes in this case. And, and not what's best for a budget or best for, you know, the, the lowest common denominator. You know, a lot of fans are curious about spring football. And obviously, it's a lot of conversation going. Do you imagine that can be made up in some form? Or is it likeliest that football doesn't resume activities until fall camp and, and they're just there is no offseason work, so to speak? You know, that's it's so hard to speculate right now. Um, obviously, we're not going to have traditional spring football. We're not going to have any spring activity of any sort. So that takes you through the end of May, maybe even into June. You know, on one hand, if we have summer school um, and at UF, we're going to do a lot of online summer school and your kids are here and they're able to start beginning uh, on-campus workouts again, you might could have a truncated off-season workout pr- plan where you do some practices. But that is so speculative at, at this point. I, you know, to me, the most important thing is wherever we do, we need enough acclimation. If we're if we are able to play football this fall, we need a plan to give teams appropriate amount of acclimation from a safety standpoint, uh, and also if you're just from a preparation standpoint. And it needs to be as equitable as possible. If we have that as our guiding principle, I would think we could figure out a way. Maybe maybe teams start a week earlier. Maybe they start ten days earlier. Uh, maybe if you'd already Finish spring ball, you don't get to start earlier. You have to start with your normal time kind of thing. But but if you didn't, maybe you can start a little sooner. Uh, I, th- I think we can figure something out there. And it's whatever it is, it's probably not going to be ideal. But it's again goes back to trying to trying to make the best out of a less than ideal situation. Mm-hmm. When it comes to even that, or going back to what we were talking about before with granting extra years of eligibility, managing scholarships. Are these all decisions that are made unilaterally by the NCAA? Are they dictated at the conference level? I mean, how much say do the institutions, the ADs have in some of these things that we're discussing? Well, those would need to be determined on the NCAA level. And you hope we can be uh, coordinated enough on the, the school level or the conference level to, to have an impact in how those decisions are being made. We all have uh, representatives who sit on various councils and committees throughout the NCAA structure. 
you know, it's it's going to be interesting because the uh, the NCAA, while we have some autonomy uh, legislation opportunities for the for the schools in the Power Five conferences, uh, I don't necessarily think scholarship. I don't think I know scholarship uh, conversations are not a part of the autonomy um, jurisdiction, and so this would be something that we have to have 350 Division One schools agreeing, basically, or mm-hmm. or voting. And um, we would do that at the committee level, but you, you hope that we can do something that fits all schools. And my concern is that there's schools in the power five may have different approaches or want to take a different approach than, than schools at other, in other leagues. And, and I don't know how you in a quick, short, orderly timeframe come up with something that, that works for everyone, but we, we're having daily conference calls uh, among SEC athletic directors right now. And, and there's a lot of uh, conversations about how to best prepare and, and present our thoughts and ideas on a national level. You know, all over the country, so much of the conversation is about workers and are people getting paid as a result of this? Who is not going to get paid? How do we solve those issues I, on the, the micro level for you? What are the ramifications at this point for UAA employees, contractors, and do you know how to help make those people whole? We do have a lot of, you know, what we consider our full-time staff at UAA who are hourly employees, and our intent is to make them whole during during this shutdown. Um, contracted workers are are a little bit uh, trickier um, from a UAA standpoint, but you know we are, you know, we're open to ideas. We certainly, you know, don't want to don't want this to be a negative. Um, but really, those those are a little more complicated conversations as we go through trying to untangle what, what where we are. But our our hourly UAA staff, um, we are in a position to to make them whole for the time being, and and hopefully we can continue to do that until we all get back to work. So much of what your staff does is prepare for events, make sure that you know meals are ready for teams. I mean, there's people at every level training the athletes. Um, I guess I was just thinking about this. What are people doing right now? I mean, if you, <laughs> the whole point of the UAA staff is to keep the athletic program running, but when there's no events for such a long period of time, what is the focus of of the department and of of all of your your employees? I think it's gonna it's gonna range depending on on the, what their responsibility is. You know, our our business office obviously still has some 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 work to do. Activity is not as high because we don't have business travel or, or team travel like we normally do. But this is the time of year we usually start putting our budget together for next fiscal year. So we will still do that. And and that is a uh, department-wide project. So we will continue to to kind of go on a timeline there to do our budget for next year. You know, our maintenance people, a lot of them will still continue to be active. You know, we still have fields that need mowing and maintenance uh, upkeep and, and those kind of things. In fact, in some ways, we may be able to get ahead of some some projects that we were waiting for seasons to end to do. That, that we can go ahead and get get in front of. Uh, we still have, you know, Florida ballparks being constructed. We're, you know, we're going to finish that, move the baseball staff and equipment over in probably in June and get started in the football building right away as we had planned. And right now we're keeping our fingers crossed that the contracts we have signed with contractors, they'll be able to honor that on a timely manner, get their subs and, and all their staff out there. Uh, and, and so far we, we, it seems that's, that's the case. Um, but there's, you know, we have, we have coaches that, you know, if they're in season, they're playing games and if they're out of season, they're recruiting, all of that has been stopped. And so people are going to have to be really creative with how they stay productive and stay prepared and keep their minds sharp. And, and, you know, whenever the green light does get switched back on, they need to have used this time wisely. And, and that's the great thing about, you know, the Gators, we have so many self-driven people that 
are going to, will do that very thing without having to be told. Uh, it's just kind of their nature and DNA of who they are. And you find that throughout college athletics, obviously. So um, this is going to be an unusual time. And, and we're going to have to, I go back to what I said at the very beginning, monitor kind of the mental health of our staff and our athletes, because this is going to be something unlike we've ever gone be- gone through before. You know, right now, I think a lot of us are just, we're, we're glued to the news. We're trying to figure out how do we keep ourselves safe? What what information is there? And a lot of that, I know for, for me, has come from Dr. Sanjay Gupta. And I understand that, that you have a, a Sanjay Gupta story, which I don't think everybody does. I, I, I do. And I, I, <laughs> I want to share it. But I got to, I got to, this is one of those uh, where you're telling on yourself because I, uh, I watch national news programs. Uh, at a time like this, when something big is going on, when there's an election, when you know mm-hmm. there's a national crisis, uh, but in, in when when everything is quote unquote normal, I don't really tune in to to CNN or Fox News or or MSNBC or any of those. It's just not part of a habit I'm in. So, candidly, I until this interaction, I I did not know who Sanjay Gupta was, <laughs> and um, I was uh, if you'll recall when uh, the Gators opened the 2017 football season in Dallas playing Michigan that day after the game, I was scheduled to not fly back to Gainesville with the team. I was going to, one of our board members had invited me to go play golf in North Carolina and and travel with him on his plane to do so, which was very nice. Mm. So that game, as you recall, did not go our way. And and I was not in a great mood. (laughs) And I, I met up with my travel party on this shuttle and they took us to the airport, and um, there were actually two different planes leaving, so different two different parties, groups of people, about probably about twenty people on this bus. And um, I get on, and I'm, you know, I'm not very uh, social. I'm, I'm, I'm still upset. I don't want to talk, so I kind of sit and, and and stew over the outcome of the game on the way to the airport. We get to the airport, and uh, my host tells me who else is going to be flying with us. And, and there's a, there's a board of trustee member named Raul Patel from lives in Atlanta. He's a lawyer, great gator and Raul has, and his wife are there and they have a, a, a guest who are neighbors are there. And the guest is wearing a Michigan shirt. And so he said, Hey, this is my friend Sanjay. He's a, he's a neighbor of mine. Uh, he went to Michigan. I brought him, he was my guest at the game. I was like, okay, nice to meet you. And I just, you know, I, again, I was not being very social. So we get on the plane and I'm sitting, it's a plane where your seats are facing each other. I'm sitting facing uh, the guy in the Michigan shirt. And I realized, okay, it's time to to be nice and stop being <laughs> uh, upset about my team losing. And so I, I go, uh, Sanjay, nice to meet you. What, tell me again, tell me what you do. He said, well, I'm a doctor. He says, I'm a doctor. And I go, okay, really? What what kind of what kind of medicine do you practice? Well, you know, I'm I'm trained. I forgot what he said, but I, you know, I kind of do general medicine. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> interesting. And you, what hospital do you work out of? Well, you know, I have a unique setup. I'm not really attached to any one hospital or one group. I kind of, you know, I, I give a lot of inf- information out to the public about health and stuff. I'm like, oh, do you like write articles? And and my uh, Raul, who is host is kind of giggling at me. And he says, Scott, this is Sanjay Gupta. He's CNN's chief medical correspondent. And I'm like, well, aren't I an idiot? You know, I have no <laughs> idea. Uh, but Sanjay is an incredibly nice man. And uh, obviously he's doing a great job right now because I do have CNN on quite a bit these days of uh, giving uh, pertinent information. And, and he's got a very reassuring way about him. Um, and was not at all gloatful of the Wolverines win that day. It was, like I said, very kind and, and uh, gracious and 
uh, I became a big fan of Sanjay Gupta, who I had never, as I mentioned, I had no idea who he was. So I, I, uh, I should get out of my bubble a little bit more and, and pay attention to those things. <laughs> that is funny. It's like, what hospital do you work at? CNN? Is that a hospital? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know they had hospitals. <laughs> I yeah. know they so, did that, yeah. Yeah, but oh, uh, he's, a, he's a very bright, very bright, very smart gentleman. And uh, I ran into him at the Super Bowl when it was in Atlanta a year and a half later. And it was a couple weeks after the, or a month, I guess, after the Gators had beaten Michigan in the Peach Bowl. Mm-hmm. And um, I shared, as he was gracious to me on that plane flight, I was gracious to him and did not bring up the fact that we had beaten the Wolverines in the Peach Bowl. That was that was very thoughtful of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, while, while we're ramping up on some lighter notes here, I, I did want to get your thoughts on just the incredible celebration for Billy Donovan. Uh, we haven't talked to you since that about a month ago. Um, I know we talked about on the front end and the whole process of letting him know and surprising him. What did it mean to actually see that come to fruition and, and have it be the, the occasion that it was? You know, I, the whole thing could not have come off any better uh, from, you know, the number of former players and, and Gators who came back to be a part of that weekend to, you know, I thought Billy's speech on at halftime on the court was perfect, hit the perfect notes. You know, we had a lot of, uh, I mentioned the former players, we had a chance to celebrate them. Uh, we, you know, we, we had a, a route over Vanderbilt that night. So, you know, the home team got to feel good about it. Fans got to feel good. It's really special. And, and I know, you know, obviously it meant a lot to Billy. And uh, I was uh, taken by how much it meant to not only Gators, but the, but the community of Gainesville. And, and I think that, that speaks a lot for, for what the Donovans meant to, to this town in the, what, 19 years that, uh, that he worked for the Gators. You know, I, I had people stopping me at church saying, thank you for doing that. I, my son played basketball with Billy's son and I got to be around him and what a good guy he is. And that really meant a lot to, to me that the university would do that for Billy. So I, you know, you don't expect, you expect the person being honored um, to find it significant, but I was, I was blown away by how many people who had an affiliation with the university of Florida in some way, and how it was significant to them, which again, says a lot about Billy. Did you have any odd encounters with Joe Kim Noah? Because I know a few people did that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I had a I had a very brief cordial uh, interaction with Joe Kim, and unlike Sanjay Gupta, I knew who Joe Kim right. was. Yeah, it was it was good to see you know Joe Kim and Al Horford and and you know Bradley Bill, and I could go down the list. There were so many guys who were there that had played a really significant role in, in the history of Gator basketball. Hmm. Final question for you. We usually talk about this when it's, it's less relevant, but now more than ever, people need entertainment. Uh, they need to know what shows to watch. What do they need to catch up on? Because we all have a lot more time than we planned on having this time of year. Uh, I'm curious, what are your recommendations? What are you looking forward to? What what can you give to the people here? Oh, wow. That's, you you always kind of make me step my game up here. That's right. That's right. Um, I got to give you credit for that. I, uh, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm working my way through Narcos Mexico. I, I think the Narcos series on Netflix is, is, uh, has been really well done. So I've, I've got some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been recommended. I've not started watching it. Peaky Blinders, which is another Netflix series has been recommended to me. I've not watched it. Uh, you and I've talked about the crown. So if you've not watched the crown, you should go do that. That's outstanding. Uh, just the craft of the actors and the, and the script and all that is really good. Uh, I'm trying to read a couple books. I had planned on reading uh, a book called The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson, who's one of my favorite authors. He's a, a nonfiction writer. The Splendid and the Vile is about um, Winston Churchill's first year as prime minister, which was when the Blitz 
of London was going. I mean, the bombing of London was going on. Hmm. You know, Churchill's a fascinating character, and Eric Larson writes history books that, that read like novels. So if you've never read any of his stuff, he's written a book about the Galveston hurricane. He wrote about the devil in the white city, which is about the Chicago world's fair in the late 19th century and the serial killer who was on the loose at the same time. Um, he, he's written um, a book about the sinking of the Lusitania. He just, he's a fantastic writer. So that's on my to do list, but my brother pointed out there's a, there's an, a book called the great influenza. It's about the, uh, the Spanish flu outbreak of 1918 written by a guy named John Barry. John Barry is another nonfiction writer who wrote a book about the 1927 flood, the Mississippi River, called Rising Tide, which is an outstanding book. I had read that one. So I'm, I'm actually working my way through uh, The Great Influenza by John Barry. It was written about 15 years ago, but it seemed pertinent that you know, it'd be a good time to go back and, and look at that. Apparently, that was a I, I did not realize what how all encompassing the uh, the flu epidemic of 1918 mm. was to our country and it actually started through world war one it was uh, a virus that got picked up in the battlefields of world war one and got oh, wow. sent back to all these countries and created a lot of havoc so i think it's you know it's always uh, when you're going through something that you think is unprecedented and i've used that term on this podcast it probably really isn't and so it's, it's important to go and read history and find out how people before us have dealt with similar situations have you watched McMillions yet on HBO? I have watched McMillions. Oh, I was so excited to maybe give you that because it even it has a podcast that goes with it. It's like right up the the Chernobyl alley. But it, go figure that you're already you're already on that. I have not listened to the podcast. Oh, you haven't? So okay. So I still got I still got is that, one. Is that worth is that worth listening to? Yes. Yeah, so they took the podcast is basically they do one episode for each. So six episodes of the podcast. They do an extended thirty minute interview with one of the subjects from the show. And then they do fan questions and more of the details. So I would recommend the accompanying podcast. But I figured you'd probably seen that. That's right up your alley. It's really, really well done. And what a fascinating story. So, it really is. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a great one. I should have mentioned that. I, I forgot about that one. And I, my guilty pleasure is I've been watching Curb Your Enthusiasm also. Which Oh, it's not, that's um, not a guilty pleasure. That's essential watching. <laughs> don't don't <laughs> feel guilty about watching hilarious. Curb. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Well, Scott, uh, I know how busy you are. I'm sure you have a lot of things to get back to, but we really appreciate you taking some time to to talk to Gator Nation about this this very strange period in our history. And uh, hopefully, you know, we all get through it and, and we move on as scheduled in the fall. Well, I, I want to encourage all Gators everywhere to, to take this seriously. I want nothing more than to, to have, you know, our teams taking the fields and the courts this fall and uh, seeing our fans back supporting them. Can you imagine... If our next sporting event, whether it's soccer or volleyball or when our football team takes the field in September, how good that's going to feel mm. to get everyone back together and to be able to, to cheer on the Gators. And to get to that point, we really need to to take the next couple months really seriously and, and practice our social distancing and do all the things that are being asked of us to to prevent spread and to, to make sure we're not clogging up hospitals so the, the people who do need care can get it. No question. Thank you so much. And uh, again, th- thanks for making that point. There's still some people out there that clearly need to hear it. Thank you, Adam. Go Gators. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice. And please leave a review to help us continue to grow. There's no telling what the next update will be or when it will happen. So make sure to check out FloridaGators.com to get the latest news on the program and how it's being affected by coronavirus and come back next week for a new episode. 
Until then, I'm Adam Schick, wishing you and your family good health and safety on behalf of the Gators.